Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and it is great to be back. I thank you for all of your phone calls, wondering where we were. And um, and so I feel that there is a number out there that really do listen and respond to what we're saying. Um, Just enough to say that we have been in the midst of a series of most unexpected events. Um, One of those times when much of what I say comes into being. Uh, we, We don't sit in an ivory tower and concoct what we say. It is ground out of us in life. I've often said we pick up the pearls of truth on the floor of the valley of the shadow of death. And so I I come to you very excited with what we're going to talk about, which is radical grace. Um, I, along with a number of others, are accused of radical grace. And many of you listening right now probably have been accused of the same. Um, Is there any other grace? (laughs) Um, Radical. I mean, you know the meaning of the word. Uh, I'm, I'm saying Webster's Dictionary, just the meaning of the word radical is to do with root. It, it, it means the root of something. Um, radical surgery gets to the root of the disease. So radical grace means the very root of grace. What, what's wrong with that? I really wouldn't know. And so I want to look at it. It's going to take us a few weeks And I trust that by that time you'll be as excited as I am about radical grace. Mind you, the word grace is bandied around these days. Um, Shall I say it's it's a religious word in many people's lips. You know, um, I've I've asked over the years. It's, It's... one way I do things is ask people what they think about this or that and and listen. Um, and, and I've asked people, what do you mean by grace? And the, their definition, almost 90 to 95 percent is, it's unmerited favor. Well, I have to say, what on earth does that mean? No wonder when we start telling what the Bible, the root of this word actually means, they say that there's something terribly wrong and they make radical grace a bad thing because the word unmerited favor, absolutely what? It does nothing. Every Everything that we experience of God and his salvation is unmerited. Of course it is. Um, that that's basic. That's a, so. <clears throat> why bring it up when we talk about this word? Th- this word is um, no more unmerited than anything else. What we have to do is plunge into this word favor or gift and understand what it means and get out of this religious nothingness that has uh, gathered around the word. Also which makes things a little more difficult, is it's become a sentimental word. And even the world has taken a hold of it and uses the word now, <clears throat> especially at funerals. And especially if, if it's the funeral of some, what, what, uh, like, like a police funeral or military funeral, and they had the bagpipes to play Amazing Grace. Well, that's that's good. No, no problem. Amazing Grace is one of the most fantastic hymns ever written. 
especially when you know who wrote it. But it's become something sentimental. Sort of hear the bagpipes and get teary-eyed. It's got nothing to do with radical, the root meaning of this word. And yes, the word does mean favor. It, it means gift. Yes, it means that. It means it a lot. But um, it's not a sentimental word. It's the most life-changing. It, it, it's the most power-packed word that introduces all the power and presence of the love of God into our lives, minute by minute. So, what do we mean by that? It's, it's the most important word in the New Testament. I, I say that because most of the epistles begin with the words, grace and peace be to you. Many people sort of think that's the way they said hello, and, and so they just pass over it. But it, you can't. That's at the beginning, the head of every epistle, and it is telling me that everything I'm about to tell you comes upon this this be to you, this tremendous personal energy of God in the mode of giving, grace, God giving to you. Now see, and the rest of the epistle is what he's giving, Joined with peace, which means that part of the giving is that all is well between our hearts and God, that that we are his friends. Tremendous. Grace, it's it's the word that has within its meaning empowerment. It's a word that brings wholeness and healing wherever it happens. So, what is grace? Well, just for starters, go go back to the original meaning of the word before the church baptized it and it became one of the central words of the church. Uh, before that, when it was just a word used by Greeks and Romans back there 2,000 years ago, and it simply meant birthday gift. Uh, or a gift. Now that's interesting because they di- when when this word came into the church, they, they didn't take away that meaning. That meaning was just now transcended. It was uh, carried to its nth degree of meaning. So stop a while. The word grace in its inception into the human language means gift gift, and specifically to the Romans and Greeks, it meant a birthday gift, a gift. Now think about that. Don't don't let the religious blabber go, you know, just an unmerited favor, unmerited gift. No, 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 no. Ask, what do I mean by a gift or a favor, which is certainly part of its meaning? Well, a gift is initiated by the giver, right? If you're going to have a gift, nine times out of ten, you don't even know it's coming until it's placed into your hands. The gift, by definition, is something initiated by the giver. There's no force, not a true gift. There's no force. There's no have to. There's no manipulation. A gift is something spontaneous. It leaps out of who the giver is. A gift is shrouded with I want to, I delight to. There's no idea that I finally backed the chap into a corner and made him give me. No, no, no. No, a gift is spontaneous. But but also think, and think carefully about this, a gift bestows a certain worth and value upon the recipient. If a person gives to me a gift, an unexpected... That they have, in the giving of the gift, they have 
revealed their mind about me. They have revealed their thoughts. That they have told me this is something of how they feel. And in many cases, one could say the gift reflects how they think about me. It might be a shock to me to know that's how they think about me. Um, it's bestowed upon me a, a worth that I, I didn't realize that they, they saw in me, that they have placed a certain value upon me in giving a gift. Now, a gift, certainly, I mean, it's unmerited. It's just, I, I suppose I'm upset with that because it's so religious. And people say it with that snarky religious, you know, un unmerited favor. <clears throat> and as I said, of course, but then <clears throat> when you talk about a gift, just the definition of a gift, it has in it that idea of unworthy. You don't have to talk about the unworthy part of it because it just is. When you talk gift, you transcend worthy or not worthy. Receiving a gift, if you're, if you're mentally, emotionally stable, you will not give the gift back and say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I can't. No, 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 that... That would be unthought of socially, just you don't do that because gifts have got nothing to do with you being worthy or unworthy. Incidentally, it's got nothing to do with your being worthy. You don't get a gift because you've been a good sort of fellow. They, they don't give you a gift because you're the best mother on the block. No, we've got other words for that, but it's not gift. Gift has nothing to do with whether you're worthy or not. It's got, it's got nothing to do with merit or unmerit. No, no, no. Gift is another kind of, it's in another stratosphere where the giver bestows the gift upon the recipient. And it's all about the giver. And what happens to the recipient because they've received the gift is all about the giver. So, and the giver, whoever gives a gift, why do you give a gift? A gift really is given with great joy because of your love or affection for the person you are giving it to, and you give in order to see the joy on their face as they open the gift. So really, you gift, you, you, you give a gift in order that the recipient might join with you in your joy in giving the gift. That, that's just talking about a gift. And of course, when anyone would give you a gift, you, you don't say anything stupid like, I, 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 how much did you pay for this? I can't take this. Let, let me get my checkbook. No, no, you don't. No, if you say, I say, gift is in this other stratosphere. It's got nothing to do with all this stuff of worthy, not worthy. How much does it pay? And what do I have to do? No, no nothing to do with that. A gift, you, you, you only response that you can make to a gift is to say thank you. I suppose you could push it a bit further and say and trust that the giver really means it, but that's pushing it a bit far. Of course the giver means it. And you take the gift and you take it with thanks and you joy with the joy of the giver. No, there's no thought of cost and there's no, no thought of uh, of, of you trying to pay for it and meet that cost. See, the word gift, oh, this is, you see why it's radical. I've got to get to the root of this. What is a gift? Well, the word gift unravels all ideas of earning. Now, in, in the world of humans, the world actually that God has set up as how, how we operate as a society. Um, earning in response to work is, is good. 
and honorable. So I'm not putting it down in terms of how society works. But when we come to how the word is used regarding God, well, it's a different matter. So, you see, as I say, the word gift unravels. I mean, just the whole idea of earning falls apart. See, earning is an employer, and the employer is responsible under a certain burden, responsibility to pay and to give wages that are based on, in accord with, the work that has been done, the kind of work that has been done, the experience with which it's been done, the expertise with which it's been performed. And when all that's taken into consideration, then the wages are paid. The employer pays because of what the employee has done and because of who the employee is. And if the employee ceases to exercise any kind of expertise or uh, fine work or is lazy on the job and doesn't work, they're fired because the whole system is based on who you, the employee, is, then you get paid in accord with that. That's earning. Got nothing to do with gift. And, uh, see, that's, that's what happens among men. And of course, when it comes to work, and again, among men in society, nothing wrong with it. But um, then one has pride in one's work. Boy, I wish we had a bit more of that today in terms of our society and work among humans. See, work... Uh, of which I'm proud of what I've done, introduces ideas of deserving, introduces the word worthy or unworthy. One can speak of my achievement and receive awards or recognition, honor, all those, those words, which when speaking of how society works is, is good. I say it very biblically based that among men I would to God we had more pride in work and and people who are honored for their work but we're not talking about that we're talking about our relationship to God and with God he insists on using one word only and that is grace gift and the word gift Grace cancels out all that we understand by work, right? Your receiving a gift from someone has nothing whatsoever, nothing whatsoever to do with receiving your paycheck at the end of the week for work done. They're, 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 total, they're not in the same universe. They're two different things. So my relationship to God is based upon God being the incredible giver. I become the amazed recipient. Any work that the believer then is involved in is not in order to initiate relationship with God but rather the work is a result, a response to that which has been given to me freely. You have to think about this. See, the flesh and religion hates grace. That's why religion has has placed this um, into the, 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 the world of sort of abstract doctrine or or has placed it into this sentimental weepy place because it, don't ever get to the radical grace the root of grace i say religion my my human flesh 
that would seek independence from God hates grace. Because religion is human. The human, the man, the woman, giving to God a total, radical, reverse of grace. Do you hear me? God says that everything that he is and does is his grace, his giving to us. Religion has subtly reversed that, that everything hinges on the human man or woman doing, acting, giving to God in order that he might now be impressed enough to give us the wages of a relationship with him. Uh, At one end of the spectrum is, is the continual talk and call to dedicate ourselves or pay the price, count the cost, all those words that you'll hear spilled out by many who have never seen grace. They think the whole thing is what I've got to do. If I dedicate my, if I, if I give up enough, if, if I walk away from enough, stop doing, stop talking, stop whatever, then God will be impressed enough I, I, and he will then act. That, that's one end. The other end is that mankind, wherever you find mankind in this desperate attempt to give to God in order to get God's attention, it comes all the way to human sacrifice. You know, Wherever you go in the world, there was human sacrifice, or there still is human sacrifice. What is it? I remember, um, have you ever been to Mexico, to the Chichen Itza, where the Mayan peoples, their, their religion? And I, I spent a long time there, and being instructed on, on what the Mayan believed, and they, they took me to this well of water that I mean so deep you didn't know the bottom of it and and there they told me the story of how this one person that was at birth separated to be the sacrifice and in days of great crisis they they took this one prepared from birth and they, they they said this is our best this is our best human. And, and they brought to the edge of the well and they laded that human with precious stones and jewels. And then over he went to his death as a sacrifice to the gods. And today there are religions that believe that if you blow yourself up, suicide, then God will be impressed enough to give you a place in his heaven. Do do you see the reverse here? The scripture says it is God, 101%, who does all the giving and all I can do is receive. And human in many ways and parts and places, but the human says, no, I do the giving to try and attract God's affection and attention. Well, that's what you're up against. And I suppose when you say that everything, true life and salvation, hinges upon God giving, that's pretty radical, I suppose. That certainly gets to the root, and getting to the root, it exposes everything else that doesn't come from that root. Grace of God is the way God is. Or can I put it this way? 
Grace announces to us that God has made up his mind about you. You are the recipient of this God who in craziness gives, gives of himself. And you're the recipient. You were created to respond believing in such a giving God and in his gift. And what Jesus said, the shepherd said, rejoice with me, with me, with me. That is the shepherd said, I'm beside myself with joy. I have found my sheep. Now everybody else participate in my joy. God says, I am so beside myself with joy at giving you this gift. Now, receive this gift with joy. Participate in my joy. Let me see you unwrap this gift. This is Christianity. No wonder it blew the world to pieces. See, this is the way God is. He is the giver. And there's no dark side to God. It isn't like the moon. The moon has a dark side. We haven't seen that. It's the other side of the moon. There's no other side to God. He is fully and finally revealed in Jesus. So this is it. See, yeah. oh, let, let this sink in. There is nothing that you can do to manipulate God into loving you because he loved you before you were born. He was there in the delivery to receive you into this world. Angels sang for joy when you were born because you are the recipient of God's gift of himself. This is God. Freely, he gives himself. uncoerced. You know what I mean? No manipulating God, no walking away with that feeling, well, now I've done that, he, he loves me a bit more, loved me more than my neighbor. No, sorry about that, but that's not true. In fact, just by saying that and thinking that, it shows you don't know the grace of God, don't even know the love of God. You see, I, I have immersed myself in scripture, memorized most of it, not in order to make myself a candidate for God's love, but because I discovered he loves me. That's my response to God's love, not in order to become lovable. Massive, massive difference. So if, if I wake up late in the morning and, and don't have time to say my prayers and read my scripture, I, I, I don't believe I have somehow fouled up my chances of being loved today. Because it's got nothing to do with rules. It's got everything to do with daring to believe this incredible gift that is bestowed upon us in Jesus. Oh, God, God's love is spontaneous. Nothing has to happen out here to make God love. Spontaneously, he loves and he gives and he gives. He always takes the initiative. We love, says First John, we love because he first loved us and he's always first. Everything we do is a response to his first. He's always the giver. Always the giver. He bestows upon us. He is the benefactor at all times. And all we do is respond. Huh. Respond with joy. Respond with amazement. And when God gives, he doesn't give stuff. Or sometimes it shows up in stuff, sometimes manifest in stuff. 
because all these things that the Gentiles seek are added to us. But at the heart, you see, we're talking radical here, at the heart of his giving is his very self. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave, you see, grace, gave. So the soul loved the world comes to us in grace. For God so loved the world that, or this is what this soul love looks like, that he gave so grace, God's giving, is his love in total expression. And what did he give? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoa. So the root of God's giving is that he took his very self, his most precious, his darling, his beloved. God gave God. But that means when God looked upon you and I and he would give a gift, the only gift that would express what he felt about us was his only son. The equivalency for God so loved that, so the so loved is that he loved you, and that love determined to express become concrete and visible in giving his son. And in that, as I said a moment ago, God bestowed worth upon us. He bestowed a value. What are you worth? What is your value? It is the equivalency of God. God valued you that he gave as a spontaneous, unasked-for gift, the Son. There's a verse. It's, I suppose you could say, the text I should have quoted at the head of, of this evening. But, but it says... Um, in verse 16 of chapter 1 of John, it says, uh, well, verse 14, the Word, Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, verse 16, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. He said, God gave his Son, and we beheld in wonder that Son who was full of this giving. God, in the act of giving, pressing his gift upon us here in Jesus, and said, John, of his fullness, this fullness, this fullness of God in the human flesh. He says, we, we have received of that fullness. Receive, that's another giving word. I receive. Grace upon grace, like the waves of the sea. Grace upon grace, unending. It isn't that God just gave once. But it is in the most meaningful sense the gift that keeps on giving for never ends, never ends, revealed in Jesus. And we are joined to that gift, we've received of that gift. We're defined now by the gift. 
See, th- this is the gospel. God's gift is that Jesus, God the Son, came into our humanness and, and, and joined us to himself. Can, can you think this? Can you think it just, just for a minute? Can you think it? That God joined himself to this flesh, this brain, this... God became one of us. Now think about it. What does that do to us? I mean, just plain human. What does it do to the human? It exalts us beyond anything in creation. We have become the ones that God has joined himself to by sheer gift, by grace. Didn't join himself to gorillas. Didn't join himself to lemurs or mosquitoes. And I'm not joking. He did not join himself to fish or birds. God joined himself forever to human. And in that gift, in that gift, bestowed upon human a spoken value and worth that leaves us speechless. See, you say, well, got to invite Jesus into our heart. Well, yes, uh, yes, I know what you mean. I'm being kind of technical now. But the fact is, the gospel tells us that he came and brought us into his heart. And until I know that, I can hardly open myself to him uh, with any intelligence. This is the gospel, not that I finally decide I will unlock the door to Jesus. Whoopee. No. Stand amazed that he has taken you as you are and brought you into his heart and said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God joined himself to us. Look at the table recorded in the Gospels where tax collectors, the scum of the earth, were sitting at Jesus' table. Jesus had invited them to his table. It wasn't a matter of, you know, let Jesus into your heart and you come, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you sneak to the front and sit at the table with Jesus. No, they were sitting at the table, and Jesus came and sat at the table and joined that table to him. He invited them into his neighborhood. He said, you and I are forever one. So, how, how would you define grace? What, what is grace? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, I, I, I've spoken of this grace as the love of God coming to us. It is the, the personal energy of God entering our lives and transforming us, actually raising us to the fullness of understanding and life that is in Christ Jesus. Well, how does that happen? That happens in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love of God in action. The Holy Spirit is is God with us right now doing his salvation. And so grace actually cannot be understood apart from the Holy Spirit. I I think that's why the people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit, I mean, as a real personal presence of God with us now, people afraid of the Spirit have this religious sentimental idea of grace because they can't comprehend how it would ever work. Grace is the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. The personal, dynamic Activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. 
bringing to us, bringing to us the love of God, the strength of God, the wisdom of God, the full salvation of God. Grace, it's that intentional empowering of us by the Father through his gift, Jesus, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because he has done that and is now doing that, then grace gives you and I permission to expect his activity in our lives, always for good. We can anticipate that he will favor us or have an intentional bias of love toward us. The very nature of the fact he is giving, he's in the act now of pressing his gift upon each one of us, gives us permission to very be very bold in receiving his favor at all times. So there's none of this daft stuff of, well, you know, I've received so much, I can't ask for more. Yes, every minute, every minute, it, it's non-stop. Grace, understood as blessing, that empowerment to be the successful, prosperous human being at the very center of myself, then moving out to my extremities. It is the kindness of God toward us in every moment. It is his gentleness and his goodness and his wisdom. Grace, incidentally, also means joy. When, when they spoke of grace, it, was, it spoke of happy, joy, good cheer. The grace, this givingness of God is the joy of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so we ever receive into this moment all that Jesus Christ is and the Holy Spirit brings that living Jesus into our lives. It's grace. No wonder it's joy. Grace to you. Wow, light up my heart. Blaze on my face. Grace to you. No wonder the Christians surrounded their words with this. Grace and peace to you. Over and over. Read it. Never from this night on, never read those epistles without reading that sentence that heads the, the, the letter. Grace and peace to you is vital. That's what the whole jolly letter is about. And then, of course, in some, if not most of them, the letters, that, that wasn't enough. Their exit, when, when they sign off the letter, they say the same thing. Grace, mercy, peace to you. Um, or, or what is it, 2 Corinthians, he really gets carried away, and, and he says, and the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Grace, grace, grace. It's God coming to us. It's God now being all that I need to me in this present moment. It is Jesus himself who he is now being revealed in me by the Holy Spirit. Grace, God's gift that will not stop. God's gift that presses upon me like air presses upon our bodies of 15 pounds per square inch and all I have to do is go, <gasps> and I'm full of it. So the blessing of God, the presence of God, the gift that is in the person of Jesus presses now upon us. And I can't earn it. I insult God by trying to earn it. If there's anything that needs to be changed in your life, believe me when you open yourself to grace and this person and presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, if there's anything that needs to go, he'll show you. Don't you start. My, my assistant, Andrew, 
who many of you have yet to meet, but uh, he was talking, it was a very informal gathering of relatives, and they brought some of their friends along, and sort of barbecue atmosphere, and, and um, he was just sharing, and he was sharing sort of some of this, only in a barbecue present style, and, and this particular lady on the edge of her chair, and her tears began to well in her eyes as if she was now getting it, and the the story cut a long story very short. She said that for the last thirty years, thirty years, thirty years, she had believed and been taught by the church that she could not become a Christian until she gave up smoking. And she couldn't give up smoking, and so she had believed she could not be a Christian. What damnable heresy is that? If Jesus wants you to give up smoking, believe me, he is well able to let you know and to give you the strength and the joy and the delight to so do. And I could go down the silly list that the church has made of all the stuff you've got to give up in order to get right with God. You don't give up. God has already given up his son and his gift is to let you know that son has already taken you into his heart and loves you just as you are. And anything that is to be given up is made very plain. Gift, the grace, presence of the Holy Spirit so gently, so gently. Oh dear. Have you ever seen a tree anguish over the fact that it's fallen, it's got to try and get rid of these leaves? Or in springtime as the whole tree agonizes to produce a leaf? No, the life that is in the tree will get rid of the leaves in fall. It will produce the leaves in spring. That's grace. It's God's gift. Not you presenting the list of everything you gave up. No, it's your wide open arms to receive the gift that already fills your life and you didn't know it. That dear lady that Andrew spoke to decades decades of condemnation when the grace of God hey I suppose that's what these people mean when they say we're radical but really and truly isn't this what the word means yes the New Testament is radical can you imagine the entire world turned upside down, inside out within just a couple of hundred years? I'd say that's radical. What I hear in most pulpits today wouldn't turn the world upside down in a thousand years. Grace. I, I suppose you, I could say when you think of grace, think of it in terms of a verb. It's God in action, always in action, always in action. Love in action in your life because he's nuts over you. He's got fire in his belly over you. He loves you. I'm not talking about some theological figure up there somewhere in the ether. I'm talking about God in your face, God in your heart. Saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I am in you and for you, for everything that you need. Here I am. I've got to throw this in. This, this produces tremendous rest. I mean, there's no religious anxiety to this, is there? It's, it's rest. God does the giving. And he has given once and for all in his Son. And the Holy Spirit is constantly active in your life to open your eyes, to dance your heart with his step. By the way, whoever it was that sent me the message, um, 
I might even frame it. That I, I don't know who you are, just got a phone number, but um, the message, let me tell everyone more, is I got it, I got it. He is not a mechanic. He's not a robot. He's a poet. He's an artist. And I've joined the dance. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes, rest, rest. But now, let me push this. I think I've got time. In, in Scripture, rest comes into the picture of humankind right there in Genesis 1. The Sabbath, rest. It's introduced right there, the seventh day of creation. And, and, and notice that. And seventh day, so a week of seven days. And then if you read on through the whole law, it's the seventh year and seven times seven. And it's always rest. And then rest. So, so mankind from the very beginning was called to work toward rest and then his week would begin with rest interestingly based on genesis 1 um, the jewish day begins at six o'clock in the evening so you know uh, tuesday began six o'clock on monday evening and so the first hours of the biblical day, beginning at six o'clock in the evening, it means the first hours of the day are spent sleeping and then refreshed. And already well into the day now, you wake up and you work. You work from rest and you work to rest. That, that's rest. And so there's a rhythm there. Have you noticed that wherever there is life, there is a rhythm? Your, your heartbeat, and if, if you've got a healthy heart, you don't know it's really beating. You don't, you're not aware of it. And, and that beat, did you know that it affects every cell in your body is caught up into the beat of your heart? And did you know that your heartbeat is so powerful that it goes on forever into outer space? The beat, beat, that's rest. That's life. Beat. The moment you're anxious, have you noticed everything goes off? And you can now you know your heart's beating because it's out of rhythm. And, and yeah. Did you know that your body in its basic creation is for harmony? That's why they call it dis-ease. Or disrest. Ease, rest. Dis-ease. And the word dis, did you know D-I-S? Look it up in Webster's Dictionary. Dis is a name for Satan. It's the god of the underworld. And, and so all the dis, the disappointment, dis-ease, it's the terrible twist of darkness upon God's harmonious, rest-filled creation. Oh, yeah. In creation, you know. Sunrise, sunset. And, and it's so right on time. They can say to the very second when it will happen. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise. And, and in that rhythm and the way the world turns around in the galaxy and so on. It's, and God set that into creation every Sabbath. Rest. And from rest you work to rest. Jesus said that he was the ultimate rest and he called us to come to him and rest. And the, the message paraphrase has captured that rhythm of rest, of God continually giving and I continually receive and his giving coming and coming and coming and in the Matthew chapter 11 in the message it says uh, Jesus said that he would give us the unforced rhythms of grace there you got it the unforced I don't have to force this I don't have to work at it I don't have religious anxiety I rest 
in what God has done, is doing, has done, is doing. Or as the, the scripture we just read there in John chapter 1, it says, and grace upon grace. Yes, I said, like the waves of the sea, the rhythm. <clears throat> God gives, I receive. And I receive just in time for God to give, and I receive. Or as it says even in the Old Testament, new, fresh, every morning are your loving kindnesses, which is an Old Testament word that is very, almost the same as this word, grace. It's not, see, grace is not intermittent. Grace isn't something that you you call for, like your ship is sinking, so you send up the SOS rocket and hope the Coast Guard sees it. And, and the people who have the grace of God need grace. No, no, hold it. I receive grace while I'm sleeping. I, I receive grace. God is ever. The love of God, like a relentless ocean, is ever coming. Ever, The Holy Spirit is ever, always applying what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, to this present moment. And grace can grow in our lives. The, the Bible speaks uh, of a group in Antioch, and it says, and great grace was upon them. And that word great in the Greek is mega. Huh, yeah, we use the word mega. He says mega grace, mega grace. And grace to you. That is, may you know grace as you've never known grace before. Which means that where we end up is, it's all by faith, because Grace is where faith connects. See, faith, biblical faith, not the stuff you see in the self-help section uh, of, of Barnes & Noble. No, biblical faith is faith that is a response to the givingness of God. And I, I believe and I, I rest in that gift that's ever giving. It's, it's my connecting point. In in self-help faith, you, you have faith in faith. That is, if I can, I believe that if I can believe, well, that's faith in yourself. That's faith in your ability to produce this something inside of you. Faith in faith. No, biblical faith is a response to this gift. For by grace you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And therefore, it's by faith, he says, by faith. Wow, well, time is gone. No wonder I said I'd need a few weeks on this. Because we haven't started yet. I've just been telling you what the word means. But I would say this. Go out and start defining yourself by God's grace. Not by your performance, but by who he says you are and what he has bestowed and that bestowed gives, gives to you your definition. It defines you. And understand that grace is massive, present, now tense. God is in this present moment. Wherever you find yourself, whatever's going on, the grace of God is now. And receive with joy, for he's waiting on tiptoe to see the look on your face when you open it up. And also this week, everybody you meet, realize God's grace is toward them. Tragically, of course, thousands don't know that. And so go through life with many other and unworthy and wrong ideas about God. But you know better. And so as you look at them and as you pray for them, it is with the realization God's grace is toward them. Yes. Well, I, I, I could go on, but I think I, I've said enough. Enough to keep you thinking and praying, and worshipping, and joining the dance for the next seven days. And so now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, 
who is the unbegun and unending giver of himself, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, his grace be to you as you hear my words, bringing to you wholeness, health, and salvation to your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your body, and everything you put your hand to do. So I bless you. And that is the way it is.